0: is Julie Henricus, the Executive Director of Sisters in Crime, and I I am delighted to talk to Sarah Paretzky today about a lot of SYNC things, um, including the history and the how SYNC started. Uh, we're moving into our 35th year, although the conversations about it, I think, started 35 years ago this fall. Um, so first of all, welcome, Sarah, and, and thank you for having this conversation. Thank you for being a founder of SYNC and for all you've done for it over the years. So how did you start writing? When did you say to yourself, I want to write a book? You know, I grew
1: up in a in a time and place and milieu that did not place a lot of value on women and girls and and lives outside the home. Although I grew up in a family that was very intellectual, um, they tended also to be similar sexist. And I was living in Kansas and yada, yada, yada. So I wrote from an early age. My older brother taught me to write when he learned to write. And we started writing little plays together and short stories Uh, when I was five and he was seven. So I've been writing a long time and wrote always as just little things that were how I mediated my experiences of the world around me. I didn't imagine writing outside the home to tell you the truth. And the expectation for me was that I would marry and have a family and my parents Mm -hmm. sent me to secretarial school so that I would have a skill that I could fall back on if I didn't find a husband right away. And I didn't find a husband for a long time. And I worked as a secretary a lot of years. But I was also a huge reader of crime fiction. I thought I was a great, wide reader of crime fiction until I went to my first voucher con and found, I thought, oh my God, these people know so much more about this field than I do. So um, it's always good to see that, that you're not as special as you thought you were. It's always salutary. I don't know if it's good, but it's salutary. Anyway, uh, I think that it's second wave feminism that I really credit with making me a writer because I had been reading Chandler for the first time. And in six of Chandler's seven novels, it's a woman who presents herself sexually, who is either the villain or the main cause of everything that that goes wrong. And Second wave feminism was changing the way that I looked at, at mm-hmm. relations between the sexes and also changed the way that I read everything that I read. And I thought, I really want a woman who turns the tables on this view of women you know, using their bodies to get good boys to do bad things, which goes back all the way to the Garden of Eden. The woman that thou gavest me made me do it, God whines, I mean, Adam whines to God. Like, oh, nothing I did, but that bad girl. (laughs) Um, Anyway, uh, uh, but I just, I didn't have confidence. I, I had never imagined myself writing for publication. And so it took me like eight years of writing little things and discarding them and feeling like I didn't know how to do it or what to do. Uh, and then I was working for a, a large insurance company in Chicago and um, working for a boss who was a real pisser. And I was in a meeting with him. It was October. I can still remember this. October of 1978, looking out his office window at Grant Park where the leaves had dropped from the trees and the day was gray and he was lying his ass off as he always did. Um And my lips were saying, gosh, Fred, as I call him to avoid libel and slander litigation. Gosh, Fred, heck of an idea. And then the balloon over my head, but saying, you know, you unspeakable, unprintable. And I really it really is true that at that moment, I thought that's my detective, you know, not Philip Marlowe in drag, which is kind of what I've been doing but a woman like me and my friends, and we were part of the first wave of women to enter the professions and management in large numbers. there would always mm-hmm. been some women, but we were the first, that first group to to be a big so, presence. So. And we were f- facing a lot of, we had some male managers who were wonderful mentors and I'm very grateful to them, but there was also a large group of men who resented our encroaching on their boy space. Um, and so that's what I thought my detective is like me and my friends. She's doing a job that didn't exist for us when we were in high school. Um, and she's getting the same guff that we're getting, but she says what's in the balloon because she doesn't worry about being fired. She doesn't worry about what anyone thinks of her. She wasn't brought up to be a good Kansas girl who never, you know, made waves. So, um, so yeah, and then I went home and, and started work on what became indemnity only. It was not a smooth process, um, but um but it happened.
0: And were you always gonna be a crime writer? Was it always, you know, Chandler and other other writers who hooked you or or had you been exploring writing other kinds of things as well? No, I always your-
1: wanted to be a crime writer. I you know, it's what I've to this day, you know, I have this huge stack of really important books that I know I need to read on race and intersectionality and all these things. And yet I'm still under the covers with my flashlight reading mysteries instead, which is um, perhaps a shameful admission, but there you have it. It's just always been what i most like to read and i look for people who write well i'm not i'm not interested in just reading for a plot there has to be believable characters good command of the english language um and um but yeah that's uh
0: and during your time of, of working on your craft, did you take classes? Were you working on your own? Did you have a writer's group? How did you sort of, in those in those years of working on that first novel and, and everything else, how did you sort of keep moving forward?
1: Well, my biggest piece of good fortune was one of my co-workers who knew what I was trying to do uh, showed me that Stuart Kaminsky also of blessed memory. Uh, When you get to be in your 70s, too many of the people you care about have died. But uh, he was a crime writer and a professor of film at Northwestern University. Mm -hmm. And Stu taught a class called Writing Detective Fiction for Publication in the Northwestern University Night School. So I signed up for that class. And, uh, you know, I was really... um, fumbling with i'd written 60 or 70 pages and i thought i don't know what i'm doing i can't do this and Stu read it and he really liked the character he um he showed me how i was you know i was copying too many kind of verbal ticks from 30s noir fiction and he said no write it in your voice in the present day and he also suggested since i was working in the financial services industry that I have V.I. specialized in white collar crime because that's kind of a niche that, you know, more people are doing now, but at the time no one was doing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And so I kind of with that support and also my husband, Courtney, who was a huge booster of anything I was trying to do between the two of them. I um, I finished this book. I always think of her as V.I. because you know, she came to me as a character in that, in that meeting, um, that with my evil boss, he wasn't, I don't think he was sophisticated enough to be evil. He was just horrible. But, um, Chicago has such, it's such a divided city. I don't know if Boston is the same. I think Pittsburgh maybe is, is the way we are with everybody in their ethnic enclave. And, you know, it's such a revelation for me coming here from rural Kansas, where I mean, Kansas is certainly filled with as many racists as any other part of the country, but among people of European descent, nobody thought of themselves as hyphenated. They were just Americans. Um, and so to come here and be identified as Polish, and my first job as a secretary in Chicago was at the university of Chicago in their political science department and Polish American kids would come asking for special favors. And I'd say, no. And they'd say, you are a traitor to the Polish nation. I was like, gosh, those days, nobody said dude, but you know, it's like, dude, um, no, I'm not grand. And I'm just a secretary. I can't betray an entire country just by not letting you out of a late fine, you know. But um, And then when I was working in management at the insurance company, um, and those ethnic divisions just, they really tripped people up. God, it was such an education. So I thought, well, she has to reflect Chicago's ethnic fixation. And I don't know, I knew I couldn't write out of African-American or Latinx experience that it's, that I just, it would, I mean, we didn't say, talk about cultural appropriation then, but that was certainly, I knew I was ignorant and that it would be stupid of me to, to try to imagine myself in that voice. And I thought, well, I, the Irish kind of controlled Chicago politics in those days. And I also knew nothing about Irish experience. I thought, well, one of my grandfathers came from Poland, so I'll make her um, and I thought, well, Warsaw, that's in Poland, so warszawski that has to be a Polish name. And then people told me, no, I mean, I, this one man, um, it turns out that it's probably a Jewish name. I didn't know that, although I'm Jewish myself. Um, it was my intention to make, you know, to give her this recognizable ethnic origin. Um, and this man came up to me, uh, at a party and said, you know, that, that Warshawski, uh, is not a Polish name. I said, what do you mean? It is. And he, and, you know, he made these veiled comments that I didn't know how to decipher. And then I learned later that what he was trying to say was she's Jewish, so she can't be Polish. I was like, oh, Pacina. But, um, Anyway, so I had her last name and then the initials V.I. just came to me. And so um, I was I was almost done with the novel before I came up with first and middle names to go with the initials, which is why I always call her V.I. I never think of her by her first name.
0: And she really, you know, took hold and continues. You know, she she because she was so of the time and a new voice, um, she resonated and continues to resonate. Did you, you know, tell me about the path to publication with that first, that first novel. So I had the
1: great good fortune that when I finished my first draft, I mean, the draft of what became Indemnity Only, not the first draft, Stuart Kaminsky, sent the manuscript to his agent, Dominic Abel, who agreed to represent me. So that was a huge piece of good fortune. Dominic had some criticisms and I rewrote the book for him. Uh, It took a year for him to find a publisher. And he, again, I think I was so fortunate to start when I did because there were so many independent houses then there were, he went to 40 different publishers uh, who all rejected the book. And then just at the point that he said, um, he called me to tell me he had sold it to Dial Press, which I'm not even sure it exists as an imprint now, but um it was small, but part of... Um, then was part of the Doubleday family. Uh, he said, I was just about to call you to tell you that... Um, I wasn't going to be able to sell the book when I had a call from um, Nancy Van Natale at the dial press saying that she read it liked it and wanted to buy it. So it was like, it was, you know, everyone who's written who gets that first phone call, it's like the heavens open and all the birds are singing. And, and it was so, um, I think starting with that kind of, um, I don't know. It wasn't an easy path to publication. Uh, and I was published in a very small way. I think, again, um, you know, of course we all wish that we were like Stephen King who published his first book the same year, Carrie, the same year I published my first book. But wow. at the same time, I think huge success coming out of the gate can also be unnerving and, and, you know, like, can I do this again? And, Whereas starting small and growing, um, you grow in confidence as as you grow commercially, I guess. I, I feel like that was, for me, since I'm always nervous and second-guessing myself, that was a better route for me.
0: I, I love that you say you're always nervous and second-guessing yourself. I mean, it's such a... Uh, a journey writing and and I think it's going to be heartening for people, especially if they're early and they're writing journeys to hear that somebody as established as you are still has moments where you're not sure or you're you're um figuring things out. Um, or
1: despairing or you know I wish I belonged to a writer's group um but I don't and I think um some of that is it's my own fault, but i'm I'm so insecure. It's hard for me to have people look at what I'm doing in process. Mm-hmm. and then also, my process is so you know I write and throw out, I write and throw out, and you know the last four books that I've written, I know I've done six different versions of the novel before i've found the right way to tell the story i want to tell wow. and sometimes i'm throwing out 100 or 200 pages so wow. if i go to a writer's group or i have feedback and i get yeah why don't you try this but then i'm already throwing out what i've done because it isn't working for me but at the same time i envy the people who do have good writers groups because you have such a community and i you know especially since my husband died and the isolation is challenging, I'll just say.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, do, do you start with a germ of an idea? I, I, I you know, I, I've talked to a few people who write their way into novels, but every time I hear of somebody getting rid of 100 pages, I'm, you know, I'm grateful for computers these days because you could save it, but... Does some, do you have like some idea that just sparks you and then you find your way into telling the story of that idea or do you just start with a blank page and start writing?
1: Every book starts a little differently. Um, Some start with a a crime that has really caught my attention and then I have to think of a way to tell a a story. Um, The kind of books that I write are not intended to baffle the reader Mm -hmm. uh, because it's a first person narrative and you see everything that the detective sees. Um, But they're meant to be so so many threads that you don't know which one is the main one that you should keep your, well, so many eggs in the air, I guess you don't know which egg you should be keeping your eye on uh, is kind of the way that I write. So, the book that I wrote during the pandemic, which I still feel really depressed about, I keep calling it the "ugly baby" book. Um, instead of calling it by its, its the title, it will be known as when it's published. But I had wanted very much to write a story that dealt with the way in which the American healthcare system creates homeless people. And um, uh, I just, I could not come, you know, everything they do is wicked and immoral, but it's not illegal. Mm-hmm. And so I couldn't come up with a crime. I kept trying different ways to come up with a crime that would, um, uh, I have a I have a brother in Columbus, Missouri. Is it Columbia or Columbus? Columbus, Missouri. And I had gone down uh, to visit him and I was staggered by the number of homeless people in the streets. You know, you see people in big cities on the streets, but they're not such a large fraction of the population when you're in a small town and Mm -hmm. every doorway has a homeless person. And so talking to some of the people that I encountered, many of them had become homeless because they couldn't pay their medical bills. And it's, you know, anyway, I'm not going to get on that soapbox now but the book just I could not get the right crime for the book and so I kept going back to the beginning starting over and had characters that I liked but what story was I telling with them so that was a particularly that I think was the hardest book I ever wrote actually in terms of working it out getting the right story getting it to come together others the problems are more with just telling the story and some of them like I think the book that um one of my personal favorites of my earlier books was a book called Bloodshot where um I knew the crime and the crime was based on no never mind a big industrial scandal that I was following. Um, but the the trick was coming up with you know how to bury that industrial story and And I loved the characters who came to me and helped me tell the story, but it still was a book with a lot of false starts before I came up with the right um, vehicle. And one of the problems when you've written as many, I mean, I've not written a lot of books compared to some of my peers, but still, you know, I've published, I'm about to publish my 23rd novel. So um, you've used so many gimmicks that it's like, So the book that I'm starting work on now, I'm thinking, well, I can't have someone looking for a lost father because I did that in my (laughs) fifth book. And I can't have someone, you know, it's like, you know, so trying to come up with things that you haven't done before, that actually also becomes a challenge.
0: Yeah, no. I also love when you're talking about this, that you've still with everything. uh, Whenever I talk to you, there's a social conscious that that feeds you and that that is a you know is part of what guides you in your writing and in your you know sisters in crime and the other your political stances you know you 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 think about the greater good you think about everybody and how to how you can change the world and you could change it by telling these stories and shining a light on these stories that need to be told well thank you
1: julie that that means a lot to me. I guess the thing is, is that if I don't feel passionate about it, I can't write. Uh, then it just, you know, I used to sell computers to insurance agents. And at least then I had benefits and a pension. you know, <laughs> I might as well be selling computers to insurance agents if, if I'm just mechanically writing right. something instead of writing what I feel
0: passionate about. Well, in your passion, also you're a good storyteller. So, I mean, those two things together make it a wonderful series for sure. Um, just you. I, I have one more question for you. What do you wish you'd known early on in your career that you know now? I don't know that
1: it's a question of what I wish I'd known as much as I wish I'd had the courage to take more risks with my writing than I did. And some of them are small things, but I look at um, like with VI. I didn't know that I was going to be doing this whole series. I thought I would write this. Actually, I didn't know I would keep writing books. You know, I thought, okay, I've proved this. Now what?
0: Yeah. Um,
1: now I will go sell another computer to another insurance agent. Um, but um, I I followed the the kind of oh. I don't know if they're called memes, tropes, or categories of the way that the noir novel was structured with the male private eye, where he's a loner, and, um, you know, V.I. was not a loner from the day one, just because my personality, you know, I want connection and friends Mm -hmm. and so on, and those just began growing into her life. But I wouldn't have made her an orphan. I think that people who are doing series with family members... You know the dynamic is wonderful, and um, and it, it adds a lot of richness to the stories that that I don't have because I was so you know nervous about being able to do it. I was like I was sitting there with uh, Robert Parker's first book, the Godwolf manuscript, open in my lap. You know, and it's like okay, Spencer gets beat up here. You know, it's like um, so, um, yeah. And I think, too, one of um, just mentioning Parker, I want to add another male writer who was really a bigger influence on me and who's uh, from Indianapolis but lives now, has, has lived for many years in Bath, England. But Michael Lewin had a series that never took off the way I thought it should have, where he had a private eye, a male private eye, but boiled way less hard. And it, I was reading that also as I was starting working, saw that you could have these equal relationships between the sexes Mm -hmm. and and still write a very moving and interesting novel.
0: Well, Sarah, most people don't, you know, start a series and, and keep writing that series. So I, I think that rethinking VI's family ties now, I mean, uh, it's, it's, it's such a um, opportunity for, again, uh, you know, writers who are thinking about this of really think about how you're structuring this person's life, because if they go on for several books, that's their life. You can't undo that.
1: You know, I thought that I should try a different series, and I wrote two short stories with two younger women protagonists, one a Chicago cop and one a forensic engineer. And they both had families and all the things that I hadn't given V.I., but they somehow didn't come to life for me the the way V.I. does. She's just so part of my life. That, yeah. It just felt mechanical to write about these other characters. so They had their short stories, and that's it.
0: We're we're grateful she's part of your life and that VI is part of our reading life, for sure. Um, so when is the next book coming out? Well, May 10th, assuming
1: that everything comes in, in line with the supply chains. You read about all I these know. writers who are delayed because... You know where's the paper? The books are printed in Singapore. How are they getting to the United States? It's a it's kind of a nightmare time for everyone and for writers too.
0: It really is. And, and and the ramifications I think we're going to keep feeling for months. So, but I suspect that yours will be out on May 10th and we look forward to that. And I am so grateful for this conversation, for everything you've done for Sisters in Crime and for B.I. Warsowski, who is entertain me for many, many hours. Thank you so very much, Julie. You're very generous and
1: gracious. I appreciate it.
0: Thank you for being with us today. Sisters in Crime is about community. We were founded to advocate for women crime writers, and we continue that mission by fighting for equity in the crime writing community. Sisters in Crime is an international inclusive organization for all who write and love crime fiction, mystery, thrillers, and suspense. Join us at sistersincrime.org and make sure you subscribe to this podcast.